happy Christmas morning, First Church. You guys excited to be here? Let me hear you. All right. Awesome. Yeah, welcome. So glad to have you guys who are here on site. And I know we have a whole bunch of people worshiping with us online as well. I just saw a few before I came out here, such as Todd and Amanda and Heath and Rick and Christy and Ed and Bob and Eleanor and Josh and Krista and the Arlington family and Brad and Barb, and then people from all other places, such as Alabama, Ohio, Australia even. I mean, we've got people from all over worshiping with us on this Christmas day. So let's welcome them in right now. Let them know how excited we are. They are worshiping with us, and that's just to name a few. Well, we are here today not to just remember some famous guy in history, not to celebrate some celebrity from the past. We are here today because of this. Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We are here today to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And because he came, as we talked about at our Christmas Eve services, if you were here with us, because Jesus came, we now can have salvation from our mess. Jesus entered our brokenness in order to rescue us from it. And that's why we're celebrating today. That's why we're here today, because him rescuing us from our brokenness, from our mess, is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And it's a gift that we definitely don't deserve. But here's the thing, even though this is a time of celebration, I get it. This Season doesn't always feel like a time of celebration. In fact, we start off December with this picture of Christmas like it's going to be calm and really peaceful and all that. But a lot of times the Christmas season is what? Chaotic and crazy, right? And maybe this morning it's been crazy for you as you try to do gifts and all that kind of stuff and then get your family here at the church. I understand. And so just because we have a picture of something doesn't mean it's going to turn out that way. And I saw this video not too long ago of a lady who lives in Florida, and she put up her Christmas tree a few years ago, and when she woke up one morning, see, she has this doggy door because she has a pet dog. An animal had got into her house and had got into her Christmas tree, and what happened was something that I'm sure she didn't expect to happen. Take a look at this video clip. What the heck has just happened? There's a cat inside my Christmas tree. I swear if you knock down any of my glass ornaments, cat. Get... Go. No, it's not a cat. What is that? Is that a squirrel? No. This is bad. This is bad. <laughs> no! Don't die! Don't die! Ah! Five in the morning. These are all the ornaments that made it. There's my beautiful tree. There's the raccoon. There's the dog. And so instead of calling animal control, this is what she does. She tries to get rid of it herself. She goes after the raccoon. And she's pretty aggressive. I mean, she's determined. I mean, take a look at this. She's, she's ready to get that raccoon out of her house. So she chases it around the house. And some of you guys have probably been there, maybe not chasing a raccoon, but maybe a family member or something else around Christmas time. I don't know. But what I love about 
those clips is it just illustrates how some things, sometimes things don't always go as we planned, right? She put up her tree and she probably never expected that a raccoon would make a home out of her Christmas tree. Have you ever said those words, this isn't what I expected? Or maybe this isn't what I pictured? This time of year, I think we say that phrase a whole lot. This isn't what I expected. You know, maybe you were online and you decide to buy a gift for somebody from Amazon and the picture of the item that you purchased just looked a certain way and you thought that's going to be a great gift and then you got it in the mail and you opened it up and you realized this isn't what I expected this isn't what I pictured and you were disappointed because what you had in your hand was not what you saw online or maybe you Maybe you experienced some dish or some food that somebody else fixed. You thought, man, that's good. Can I have the recipe? And so they gave you the recipe, and then you fixed it yourself. And when you pulled it out of the oven and you looked at it, or maybe you tasted it for the first time, you're like, man, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I intended. Or maybe this season you were busy shopping, and so you need to grab some food for lunch. And you went through a fast food drive through and you ordered something off the menu, and it looked like this. But then once you got your food, this is what it looked like instead. I mean, that's not what you pictured, right? That's not what you anticipated, not what you expected. And that's how life works sometimes. Things don't always go as expected. And that's true not just about life. It's also true when it comes to the story of Jesus' birth. Because if we weren't so familiar with the story of Jesus' birth, we were reading it for the very first time, I bet most of us would read the Christmas narrative and be like, boy, that's not how I would have planned it. That's not what I expected at all. I mean, if we were planning the birth of Jesus, I doubt if things would have played out the way that God wanted them to play out. I mean, just think about it. Think about how Jesus was born to a peasant couple, and then he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough. They had, he had to stay his first night in a place where animals were kept because there was no room for him in the inn. And then the first people who heard about his birth were misfit shepherds. And then the people that came and visited him were magi. They were wise men from another country, foreigners who weren't even part of God's people. And then you got this king named Herod who wants to kill Jesus. And I mean, just imagine all that playing out. I, that's not what any of us would have anticipated or planned or expected. And yet, that's exactly how God wanted it to happen. See, we get so caught up sometimes in the sentimental feelings of the Christmas story that I think we miss the significance of what God wanted to have happen when his son entered our realm. And so this season, like every Christmas season, I was reading back through the Christmas narrative and something always hits me or stands out to me that I didn't see before. And this time, Something hit me as I reached what is typically the end of the Christmas narrative for us. When I got to Matthew 2, verse 13, that's where we typically stop. But something hit me that really I hadn't realized before. And I think it's significant, and I think it's going to teach us a key truth that we need to hear today. And it's this. God shows up in unexpected places. So before we look at verse 13, we need to back up just a little bit because verse 13 happens after the Magi, the wise men, leave after they came and they worship Jesus. And the text says this, we back a little bit to verse 11. The wise men went to the house, there they saw the child with his mother Mary, they bowed down and worshiped him. 
Then they opened their treasures. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, King Herod. So they returned to their country on a different road. And that's typically where we end our study of the Christmas story. The Magi are told not to go back to King Herod. Herod wanted them to go back to him and tell him where Jesus was. But King Herod is a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, he's crazy and he's jealous of Jesus. And so he wants to kill Jesus. So God warns the wise men, don't go back to Herod, go back a different way. And they do. And that's typically where we end the story. But there's more to it. Something happens after this. See, not only does God warn the wise men not to go back to Herod, God also warns Joseph to get out of town because Herod's coming after Jesus. And you may not have read this part of the story or maybe you've heard about it, but it's not something you've really studied a whole lot. But what does God tell Joseph to do? He tells him to flee, to run to Egypt, another country. Yeah, Egypt with the pyramids and the Sphinx and all that. Yeah, Egypt, run to Egypt, hide out there for a while because King Herod is crazy for Cocoa Puffs and he wants to try to kill my son. And that's where I wanna pick up. Let's read here in verse 13. When they had gone, when the Magi had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, like I said, this is not a part of the story that we typically read, but it's in the Bible for a reason. And I think it's significant for us today See, Egypt was only about, the border of Egypt was only about 75 miles north of Bethlehem. And it was a place where people would go when they were political refugees, when they would try to hide out from political oppression. So God tells Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt, to take Jesus there. Now, here's the thing. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew who had grown up in Judea. Egypt had significance, but it wasn't a good significance. If you remember, Egypt was the place where God's people had been held captive for 400 years. I mean, thousands of years ago, back during the time of Moses, remember? God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And Egypt was symbolic. Egypt represented evil. Egypt represented slavery and oppression. It represented tragedy. It represented pagan gods. Egypt was the place that God's people had run from, fled from. And now, God tells Joseph to take his son back there, to go to the place where God's people had run from, fled from, thousands of years ago. What's up with that? Why Egypt? And here's the thing, even though Egypt represented captivity and suffering and darkness, we see that this is all part of God's plan for them to go there. I mean, from, the, from an outside perspective, it looks as if Mary and Joseph and Jesus have to go to Egypt because Herod wants to kill them. And so Herod is out to get them and Herod is forcing them to run to Egypt. But then we see it's all part of a fulfillment of God's plan. Out of Egypt, I've called my son, God predicted in the Old Testament. It's all part of God's plan. God is in total control here. 
And it just reminds me of a great truth. God's job is the outcome. Our job is to trust. We may not understand why God asks us to do certain things, why God does certain things, but God's job is the outcome. Our job is just to trust. We trust God and leave the outcome to him. And it may look as if God's not present in our situation because I'm sure, like I said, from an outsider perspective, it looks as if Herod was the one who was forcing them to go to Egypt. But what we need to remember is, even when we don't see it, God's still moving in our lives. Even when we can't feel him, he's there. Even when we're not aware of what he's doing, he is still working. And so Joseph went because he trusted God. And notice what the angel said to Joseph. How long was he, was he to stay in Egypt? Stay there until I tell you. It's an indefinite period of time. It's kind of like whenever I take my kids with me and we're going shopping or running some errands or whatever, we're in the car for five minutes and they're like, Daddy, how long is this gonna take? You know, How long are we gonna be out shopping? How long are we gonna do this? And my answer is, until I'm finished, okay? Until I tell you we're done. So don't ask anymore, until I tell you we're done, that's how long we're gonna and it's as if God is saying, just stay there until I tell you it's okay to leave. Stay there until I give you the all clear. And Joseph does it. They leave in the middle of the night. Why? Because Joseph knew what God had already told him. God had already told him, your soon-to-be wife, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, God's got a plan. God's got a mission he's going to accomplish and God has already promised that this son is going to change the world. This son, who you're going to name Jesus, is going to be the long-awaited Messiah. He is going to rescue people from their sins, from their mess. And in order for that to happen, this son has to make it out of Egypt. And so Joseph trusted that God had a plan, that God was in control. He trusted God and left the outcome to him because Joseph knew that God hadn't brought them this far, taken them through all this to abandon them now. And the same is true for us. See, Christmas is a reminder because Jesus has come. God has not left us on our own. God hasn't brought us this far to abandon us now. And whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing right now, God hasn't brought you to this spot, to this moment in history to abandon you now. He is still with us and he is still working even when we can't see it. So Joseph stays in Egypt until he gets the all clear from God and this is what happens. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Now, what's interesting to me are the first three places that Jesus lives when he physically comes to earth. I never really noticed it. Like I knew it, but I never really noticed the significance of this. Have you ever paid attention to the first three places that Jesus ever lived? You know, they say the first rule of real estate is what? Location, location, location. Location matters, right? And apparently, these locations matter. 
I mean, the very first place that Jesus lived was a little town called Bethlehem. It wasn't where his family was originally from, at least Mary and Joseph. Joseph's family line went back there, but Mary and Joseph weren't from there. And yet they went there what, because of what looked like to be by force, because the Roman government had issued a census. They had no intentions early on of ever living there, but they lived there for over a year in this little town of Bethlehem that really was a town not even on the map. I mean, in the days of Jesus, they estimate that about 150 people lived in this little town. It wasn't very big at all. And yet, in this little bitty town, that's where Jesus first lived. And in, in Matthew, it says this about Bethlehem. It actually quotes from the prophet Micah. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Everybody else considers you small, but you're not least, as everybody else says, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they settle in Bethlehem, and it seems like that they're going to maybe start a life there. I mean, they're there for over a year, and then all of a sudden, an angel appears to them and says, no, 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 you, you need to leave. You need to go somewhere else. And the next place that they decide to live, not decide to live, but they're told to live, <laughs> is Egypt. Now, again, Egypt was the land of slavery for God's people. Egypt was a place I'm sure that Joseph and Mary never thought that they would live. And yet, they go to Egypt. And they live there for some time. We're not exactly told how long, but they live there for some time away from their homeland. And we see that the Bible says this was all part of God's plan because God had said, out of Egypt, I called my son. And then after they're in Egypt for a while, Joseph gets the all clear and they end up in a town called Nazareth, which will end up being Jesus' hometown. And Nazareth was a small town, not as small as Bethlehem, but it wasn't unknown like Bethlehem. People knew about Nazareth in this area, but its reputation wasn't good. Do you remember what was said about Nazareth when people heard that Jesus was from there? Can anything good come from Nazareth? That's not the best reputation to have. And yet, that's where Jesus lived. Location, location, location. Why these places? Why did God want his son there? Because as we read through the Christmas accounts in Scripture, we find out that these locations weren't random. They were all part of God's plan. My question is, why? Well, I think that these three places, Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth, all have to do with this verse right here. That he will be known as Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, when God came to earth, he decided to dwell in these three places to represent who he came for, who he came to live with. And so these three places are important because of what they represent. And that's what I want to emphasize here today. And so I know we've got some kids in the room, right? Do I have a kid who wants to help me out real fast? Anybody want to come to stage? Okay, I got one right here. Go ahead. You can come on up, buddy. Let's welcome him to the stage as he comes on up. Now, believe it or not, the mail doesn't run on Christmas, but it did yesterday. And so there is an envelope in there. Would you pull that envelope out? And you can go ahead and open it up for me if you want to. 
And what does Bethlehem represent? Can you read that for us? Can you say it? Unnoticed. Unnoticed. See, Bethlehem represents the unnoticed. Now, I wanna let you know something. Because I noticed you and you came up front, there's actually something else in this mailbox. Go ahead and open it up, and you get to take that with you, okay? You can reach back in there. I hope that you like what's in here, if you can get it out. There you go. We've got a snowman Pez dispenser and some Starburst candy cane. So do you like Starburst? Awesome. Okay, you can go and have a seat. Thanks for helping me out. Appreciate that. Bethlehem represents the unnoticed because Bethlehem was unnoticed. Like I said, not really even on the map. It wasn't known for anything important, not a major crossroads, didn't really have any industry there. Little town of 150 people. The only thing it really was known for was that King David from the Old Testament came from there. It was his hometown, but even David, before he became king, was ignored. You remember when the prophet came to appoint the new king over Israel? The prophet came to Jesse and said, God has said one of your sons is going to be the next king. And they go down the line of all of Jesse's sons. And the prophet's like, you got another one? Because none of these guys are it. None of these guys are the guy that God wants. And Jesse's like, well, I got my youngest who's out in the fields. But can't be him. He was overlooked, ignored. And yet God used the one who everybody else ignored to be the greatest king in Israel's history. And Jesus would come from the line of David, right? You see, it just shows us that God does big things through people the world considers small. The world may not consider you significant. The world may not consider you important, but God does. God does big things through people the world considers to be small. And if you feel unnoticed today, Jesus came for you. But then the next place, Egypt, what does this represent? Do I have another kid who wants to tell me? Oh, I already see a hand right here. Come on up. Yeah, you can come on up. Come on up. Yeah, who, whichever. Both of you can if you want to. But yeah, come on up here. Oh, he's got a Christmas hat on and everything. He's ready to go. All right. Come on up here. And uh, now everybody wants to because they know that there's candy in here. So awesome. You want to pull out the next envelope? Don't get the candy yet. Just go ahead. What does Egypt represent? You want to hold it up for everybody to see? What's that word? He's Captivity, right? You can go and get the candy if you want to. I'll let you have that because I know that's why you really came up here. So that's fine. Okay, you can go and have a seat. Yeah, thanks, man. Give it up for him. Thanks. See, this world has a tendency to trap us, to enslave us, to enslave us to desires, to temptations, to our past, to our mistakes. And if you feel trapped today, trapped in an addiction, trapped in a temptation, trapped from something that happened to you in the past, something you did or maybe something that was done to you, if you feel trapped today, Jesus came for you. And in fact, Jesus says that he came to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. It's funny that Jesus went to the very place where his people were enslaved and he wasn't afraid to go there. Because Jesus isn't afraid to enter into our captivity. He isn't afraid to enter into our slavery. He isn't afraid to enter into those places that scare us, that hold us back. Because he knows he's greater than those places. And then there's one more location here. And I need one more assistant, okay? Let's see. How about there in the back? Yeah, you back there in the back. Little girl right there. Yeah, you got your hand still up. Come on up. Come on up. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Yeah, come on up. Let's welcome her to the stage. Awesome. Okay, can, can you pull out? Whoa, this one's tight. Oh, there we go.
Can you pull out the, the envelope there? All right. Can you open it up for me? Need some help? Oh, there we go. It's in there. There you go. You want to hold that up so everybody can see it? See, what does Nazareth represent? The rejected. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I know you want the candy, right? So you want to go and pull it out of there? Where? Oh, is there none in there? Oh, I don't want you to feel rejected. <laughs> is that okay? She said, that's okay. No, I'll tell you what. I got something for you right back here. Are you ready? I knew it. And so here you go. You get your own Nutcracker Pez dispenser and some Jolly Rancher candy cane. you like Jolly Ranchers? All right, there you go. You can go back to your parents, okay? Let's give it up for her. There you go. Nazareth represents the rejected. Remember, remember anything, can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, something great came from Nazareth. And that's what God does. God takes those who have been looked down upon, made fun of, mocked, rejected, and he turns their lives into something great and significant. If you feel forgotten today, if you feel ignored today, if you feel trapped today, if you feel rejected today, if that's the place you're in, I want you to remember, God shows up in unexpected places. Because the Christmas story reminds us of a great truth. Because Jesus has come, a new day has come. And so maybe in the past you lived in a place of rejection or a place of slavery or a place where you were overlooked and felt unnoticed. But that place is where God wants to enter today because here's what I want you to notice. In all three of those locations, in Bethlehem, in Egypt, and in Nazareth, God speaks to Joseph in those places. You know what that means? God works in the midst of the places that we are often afraid of, that we often want to get out of, that we have no control over. God still works in unexpected places. And so today, no matter where you are, no matter what place you may be in, God wants to enter your life. And he wants to let you know a new day has come. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to feel rejected anymore. You don't have to go feeling like you're unnoticed and ignored anymore. You can know today that you're loved. It's interesting to me the first three places that Jesus lived in we would have expected him to live in Jerusalem or Rome, the capital city of the empire, or Alexandria or Athens or some other major city of that day. But Jesus lived in some unlikely, unexpected places because he came for people that no one would expect to be saved. He came for me and for you, those who didn't deserve it, those who couldn't earn it, but those he loved. I'm not sure if you guys got to catch any of the World Cup 
the FIFA World Cup that took place. I'm a big soccer fan, so I watched a lot of the matches. Anybody watch any World Cup matches? Let me see your hands, okay? Yeah, several of you. And so I got to watch several of them. And last Sunday was the championship match, the final match. And it, it happened at nine o'clock on Sunday. So I didn't get to watch it live. I had to record it and go home and watch it on DVR. And so I went home and when I got there, I could tell that my kids already knew who won. And they, that, this happens sometimes. They'll find out the score beforehand. And so I was like, don't tell me, do not tell me, do not tell me. And they were smiling and smirking and whatever. And I was like, don't tell me. And they wanted to tell me, but I was like, I don't wanna know, I wanna watch it. And so uh, they, they kept trying to give little hints and all that. And I was like, stop, stop, don't give me any hints. And I was actually for Argentina who ended up winning, um, but somebody clapped. There's another Argentina fan in here. Uh, not that I'm a huge Argentina fan, but I really don't like France. So anyway, that's kind of where I landed, you know? Uh, so that's who I cheered for. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But so I kind of wanted Argentina to win, wanted Messi to get a World Cup, uh, a World Cup win. And so I was, uh, I was waiting to watch the game and Alex is just, my son, he's just waiting to tell me the score, waiting to tell me what happened because he knew Argentina won and they won in a dramatic fashion in a shootout, you know, and by penalty kicks. Went to overtime and they won and by penalty kicks. And so Alex uh, said to me, as I was fixing lunch, as I fixed lunch and watched the game, he said, Daddy, you just want to make sure you watch it till the end. And I'm like, no, don't tell me that. I know you haven't told me who's won yet, but don't tell me. I don't want to know that. You know, I got to watch it till the end. Like something, you know, dramatic happens in the end. Don't tell me that. And so I was a little bit frustrated. I was like, Alex, stop. I don't want any hints. I don't want you to tell me anything thing and Addie my daughter is there and she goes daddy don't get upset he didn't tell you that Argentina won in a shootout <laughs> I'm like what are you doing to me <laughs> so I watched the match anyway but I knew what was going to happen and so even though Argentina went up in the first half by two goals I thought well France is going to come back because they go to overtime and sure enough, in the second half, France came back. And when they came back, I didn't get too worried about it because I knew Argentina was going to pull it out. And so I watched one overtime period. Then I watched the second overtime period. And then Argentina scored. And normally I would have been like, yeah, we got it now. You know, Argentina's going to do it. But then I knew in the back of my mind, France has got to score again because they're going to penalty kicks. So I waited for France to score because I knew it was going to happen. And then France scored. And then we went to penalty kicks. And normally in a situation like that, I'd be on the edge of my seat. You know, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? But I knew. Argentina was gonna pull it out. And I was excited, I was excited that they did. It was still an awesome match to watch. It's an instant classic. But I knew the outcome through the entire game. See, here's the thing. In life, we may not always know what the next chapter holds, but we know how the story ends. See, we may not always know what comes next in our lives. And when God tells us to go to Bethlehem or Egypt or Nazareth, we may look at our situation and say, why? Why would I go there? We may not understand how God is going to use the next chapter or the next couple chapters, but we know the end of the story. We know Jesus is victorious. We know Jesus defeated death for us. We know Jesus has given us the promise of new life. And that baby who was born in Bethlehem, who all the powers of hell tried to attack, who Herod from the very beginning tried to kill, everybody was against him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the government rulers, everybody tried to stop him and later his church. And yet Jesus rose from the dead 
dead and is victorious today. And we as his church continue to live in his victory today. We know how the story ends. Yeah. And so we may not know how exactly God's going to get us to the end. He may take us through Bethlehem, through Egypt, through Nazareth to get there. But we know who's writing the end of the story. And we know we keep going, we keep trusting, because we trust God and we leave the outcome to him. I hope that that gives you some hope on this Christmas day, because Jesus came to let us know He's writing the end of the story and we can trust him to get us there. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this day and this time we've had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that no matter where we are right now on our journey, whether we're in Bethlehem or Egypt or Nazareth or some other place, Father, may we be reminded that you show up in unexpected places. So no matter where we are in life right now, you are there with us. You are guiding us, you are leading us, and we trust you, and then we leave the outcome to you because we know you are the one who's writing the end of the story. We may not know what the next chapter holds, but we know how the story ends. And thank you for ending our story with the victory that is found in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.